Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm happy to be back on this beautiful Monday with my usual uh, cohort, Dr. Beth Dupree, who is joining us from Holy Redeemer Hospital. She is uh, on the phone with us. I also have my daughter in the studio, which I'm thrilled to have, so she gets to see what uh, mom does outside of the house. <laughs> and our guest today is Lenore Vassell, and Lenore is the founder and CEO of The Torch, which is an online emergency information organizer, which um, really helps prepare families for sudden situations. So uh, welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, welcome to the show, Lenore. Beth, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can okay. you hear me? Good, good, good. There you are. I was, was having a little technical issues finding everyone. How are you today? I am good. Listen, we're going to start with you, and uh, I want to find out about your weekend and the uh, wonderful retreat that you held talking about the topic of ethics and health care. Well, my, uh, my week last week um, was filled with multiple, um, obviously very, I would say, um, cognitive uh, stimulation it, and my, my brain was kind of working overtime with all of the different um, seminars that I was at. I spent two days in Maryland doing a leadership and legacy course on um, ethics and healthcare and and obviously I work for a Catholic health institution at Holy Redeemer and um, every different organization has its own ethics and it was just a very thought provoking um, time and to go from there um, to my office hours to, you know, at noon on Friday, beginning a three-day, um, very intensive retreat called A Journey of Hope with women who are all living with stage four breast cancer. 
And so it's, um, it, there are no coincidences that uh, our guest today is, um, has a company that is something that I was, you know, having these very difficult conversations with these women who are living with stage four breast cancer. And um, I hadn't looked at uh, the notes till I got home last night to even see who the guest was. That's how crazy my week was. And it was kind of like, I was like, okay, this is, this is totally divine providence because why would um, this topic be on Monday after I spent the weekend helping these women navigate their journey um, with breast cancer? And, you know, stage four breast cancer means that breast cancer has spread beyond the breast into other organs. And it is not considered a curable disease. It is considered a chronic disease, although there are many individuals who are, um, I say that they get to NED, which is um, our acronym for no evidence of disease. So I tell everyone with stage four cancer that you want to get to NED because NED's a really good place to be. And for these women, it was um, very transformative this weekend. We, uh, my sister Sue um, is in from Australia. She's an amazing clinical social psychologist who um, also does a lot of healing modalities and Sue and I led the retreat and taught many different um, techniques for stress reduction you know using meditation and yoga and laughter yoga and we did um, several um, projects that were um, designed to stimulate those conversations and then we actually had those very tough conversations about you know does your family know what you want when you're no longer here? Um, does everybody in your household know where things are and who you want your very valuable items to go? And it takes um, it takes the the business um, uh, that we're going to talk about today with Torch to a whole different level because it's not just about you know with women dealing with a, um, you know a potentially uh, life, you know, the life-threatening disease, um, it makes you ask all those really difficult questions of yourself. And if you don't write down the answers for anyone to have, no one's really going to know what you want them to, to know about your, you know, about, first of all, your personal life and your, your the, the practical things of day-to-day -day living. But we even went way farther than that going into you know, writing down and, and creating a, a membership of um, events in your life that you want your children to know what you thought about it and how you remember it. And it was really powerful for me because, um, you know, I'm not, I'm very healthy. I'm not dealing with cancer. But it made me look at things in my life and begin that journal, which I will, you know, have for my children someday to look at and to read. To, because think, the farther we get away from certain events, the harder it is to remember them. And uh, so it was a really amazing weekend. We were at um, Okanalith uh, Spiritual Center, which is in Northeast Philly. It's a beautiful um, facility that's um, it was partnered with um, the family, the trainers, and the Sisters of Mercy. And it was just an absolutely beautiful weekend, a beautiful experience. And um, I actually think that, um, you know, after our discussion today, this um, this whole concept of passing the torch is it's it's something so beautiful from a you know with my patients making sure that they all are aware that there is something like this out there so that you know not they don't feel like they're leaving information um, just kind of out in the air for someone to go find they can actually you know have that control and when you're going through a disease that you lose control of being able to control something is really an awesome opportunity and I think this is going to give them potentially an opportunity to regain some control.
Beth, do you have plans to hold another retreat like that again? We run these retreats usually twice a year. We're um, hoping to get more funding to be able to do it four times a year. Um, we do them for newly diagnosed patients. We do them for our young survivors. And we also, we, we think that the, our metastatic, or we, our, our support group called MetaFriends, our patients that are living with breast cancer as a chronic disease are those individuals who really, really need these intensive weekends because healing is something that happens, you know, at a soul's level. And you can't, you know, a lot of patients aren't receiving that within current health systems. And I think you know by now from getting to know me that, you know, with what I do with the Healing Consciousness Foundation and what we offer at Holy Redeemer, we're really giving patients much more of that, that personal patient experience and trying to create that healing opportunity for them from the diagnosis. But I was, you know, given the opportunity to see how other doctors treat their patients and how discounted patients feel when they when they're not being heard and so it, it really was a very thought-provoking weekend for me I um, I'm still you know I'm still trying to process it all and it takes a while and I, I have to say I learn so much every time that we facilitate one of these retreats and I you know the the women leave so thankful that I gave my weekend to be with them and what's really the blessing and the gift is that they chose to give me these gifts so that I can, you know, go forward and try to help more women and men and, you know, everyone dealing with, you know, life-altering um, situations. So it was really it was really an amazing experience. And I, it's something that it's, um, you know, it's, that's my soul's work. I'll, I'll have to share with you my picture that I did in, in one of the sessions. It was amazing. We um, took a word and everybody had to choose a word. And I chose the word passion. Um, because that was something that kept coming up um, this week in my other, you know, my other spiritual work at uh, Bon Secours. And you erase the word, but before you erase it, you draw um, kind of a, a blobby circle around it, you know. And my word passion ended up turning into um, the medical caduceus, which was planted in the earth with the snakes going down into the into the roots of a plant um, and coming up through with all of the colors of the energy chakras um, into a pair of hands, you know, holding this beautiful light, which is really where, you know, I know that my passion is healing. I, I chose to be a surgeon um, because I think that was the easiest route there. But my passion is really in healing and making sure that we provide access to our patients because everybody needs healing at some level. And so to really kind of be able to focus that laser beam of mine was pretty cool. And to have these women, these amazing, amazing women, be my teachers this weekend, I am forever blessed um, to have had them in my life and to continue to have them in my life. So it was pretty awesome. That's so great, Beth. And you, you know, you know how I feel about you. Those women are lucky to have you. Um, you know, and the work that you do, it's so, so deeply from your heart. I just, you know, I, I can't say enough about the work that you do. Um, and, of course, how lucky I am to have you, you know, contributing to the show every week. Uh, for the listeners, real quick, I want to give our call-in number in case someone's listening and would like to call in with questions for either Dr. Dupree or Lenore. Our call-in number is 888-329-3306. And I'd like to welcome to the show now Lenore Vassell, who I mentioned is the founder and CEO of The Torch. And The Torch is an online emergency information 
Foundation Organizer, um, which is just a tremendous tool for families to use so that they're prepared for any, uh, you know, sudden situations that come up. Lenore, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Sue. Hi, Beth. So nice to speak Hi. with you as well. Terrific. I'm happy to hear your voice and uh, been looking so, forward to So awesome. Yes. So awesome <laughs> having you on the show. Thank you. Well, I, I am so inspired by both of you as to, like, what you do for for women and inspiring them to be in leadership roles. Uh, I told you once before, two of my favorite guests were Sally Krawcheck and, and Deanne Wingate. Yes. Sally, I've followed for years, and Deanne is a close friend of mine. And so thank you for highlighting women the way you do. It is just amazing. And, Beth, I've had so many friends and family who have won the fight with cancer because of people like you. So I want to personally thank you, and you are my hero. Well, thank you. And uh, I, I love how you took um, your idea and turned it into a reality. And that's, that's such a beautiful thing to see, and I love people following it. And clearly it was something you were passionate about. And I have to ask you, is your Twitter picture, are you sitting at the top of Machu Picchu? I am. <laughs> uh, that is that is on my bucket list, and I, I just I, I oh you know what I I bought some backpacks at from Cradleith yesterday because they were made from the nuns they were made in in uh, Peru. Uh huh. It's absolutely on my bucket list to be sitting there just like you were, and I was thinking I could Photoshop my blonde hair into that picture <laughs> and, uh, and maybe have a new Twitter picture. So it was awesome. Oh, I, go I, ahead. I, <laughs> You Beth, I have no doubt somebody. you'll get there. You will oh, get there. Maybe we could broadcast the show from there, Susan. What do you think? <gasps> that would be awesome. Machu Picchu. That would be fabulous. Yeah, it was one of my bucket lists as well. And um, I hiked the Inca Trail with um, oh. eight other of my very, very closest friends, my sister, my best friend. Um, we, we did it. It was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. I can imagine. But when you get to the sun's gate um oh. you it was so cathartic everybody got tears in their eyes Oh, you know, oh, I have yeah. a, I have a cousin who who did it as well, and she was working with a foundation, and they performed a concert there, um, and, and I know that it's an experience she'll never forget. So, Lenore, let's let's get into your backstory. I'm I'm anxious to talk about um, a little bit about your background, of course, before we talk about the torch and and all the services that you offer. Uh, I love personally that um, you mentioned your Italian and Greek family, because as you know, I, I married into an Italian family, and my favorite movie of all time is My Big Fat Greek Wedding, <laughs> and, and so that I picture all of that when I think of you, um, and my daughter's with me today in the studio, and she is one of the all-time best in interpreters, I guess, of my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> she can absolutely mimic every line from the movie. Um, and I, I want to know, is that, you know, when I think about that movie and your Italian heritage, is, is that how you grew up? The yes. Okay. <laughs> Yes, exactly. I love that movie, and um, every time I see it, um, we laugh. Remember in the movie there was, um, uh, I think everybody was named Nick. You yes. Know, Nick, Nick, yeah. and Nick. Well, I have cousins where there's Carl, Carl, and Carl, Carl Sr., Carl, you know, so, <laughs> and, and we, we joke, you know, it's old Carl, young Carl, skinny Carl, fat Carl, you know, it's it's because we can't, we can't remember which Carl we were talking about. That's um, so funny. But we, you know, and the food, everything is all about the food. 
and um, every every meal we spend talking about what we're going to eat for the next meal. Absolutely. And everything we make takes so long to make. I, we have every person in our family has their like specialty of like what they what they make, and the more complicated the 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 better, <laughs> because I think we measure love in in food, and Aww. so if we cook for you and if we make something really complicated, that's the love that we put into the food. And so um, the more complicated, the more you love them. <laughs> oh, I, I, and I love that. And sometimes, you know, we, we do the same thing. We prepare the day before all the meals for the next day. And my only complaint is that it takes a lot of preparation and a lot of love, and then it's over so quickly. I'm trying oh, to know. teach my Italian, my Italian in-laws to eat slower. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. But we, what we've learned to do is um, we enjoy the process and the preparation. So um, my parents, they still live in Pennsylvania, and um, I don't get to see them as often. So when we do have a holiday, it's about going to the market with them, picking out, you know, all of the, you know, doing all of the shopping, being in the cook- kitchen, cooking, putting everything together. And, and so it's the time and the shopping and the preparation. Mm-hmm. That we really enjoy. That yes, you're right. When you eat it, it's like it's gone. But all of the time that you put into it is is what we really enjoy. Yeah, that's it's that, the that's a wonderful of the cooking. That's the right. Ceremony, don't you think? That, yes. That, yes. The whole build up to it. The, you know, we we did it yesterday for Father's Day. You know, with the the cooking of the ribs and the smoking of the brisket and all that stuff. It's like it's that whole process that makes it so much fun because you're sharing it with your family. Right, right. Well, it, we we laugh because in our family we have a, a lot. We have a big family, and we all love food. And and anytime there's a holiday, um, everybody's asking, you know, who's making what? What you know? What what are we gonna have? Who's shopping? Who's doing this? And there's all these questions flying around. And because I'm um, technical and I love spreadsheets, I think in a spreadsheet, I always create a spreadsheet. So I just recently this past weekend <laughs> created the the Fourth of July spreadsheet. <laughs> it has, it's who's already in the planning. Yeah. Yes, it's 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 who's bringing what and who's buying this and what are we eating Friday and Saturday and what's for breakfast and what's for lunch and and it's it's really funny, but it it's all part of our ritual, like you said, and the celebration. Yeah, it's a wonderful way to grow up. It really is. Um, one of the things, Lenore, I wanted to ask you about was it. It seems to me from reading your background that you really were from a young age interested in in the math and the science and the technology, which is wonderful, you know, to know at a young age where your interests lie. And, you know, rather than going to, um, I don't know, a cheerleader camp, you went to a science camp. And I think that's fantastic. And I want to know what it was, you know, what did you learn from uh, those years at that camp that kind of helped you to build that confidence as a young girl in the technology field? Uh, well, I, I, I joke that I, I was always good in math and science, but I think I was really good in them because I was terrible in English. <laughs> so I can't spell. And so um, whenever I'd have to, like, read aloud or go into spelling bee, I was like, oh, I just avoided those classes. But math and science, that came easier to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I excelled there. So obviously I kind of gravitated to those types of of classes. Well, when I was in high school, my parents, they, you know, they were always um, very 
supportive of me doing, you know, anything that was going to further my education and anything that was educational. And so they found the science camp. And originally, because, you know, you're in high school at that time, and they were like, oh, we found this science camp. We thought you would like it. You know, we think that you should go because they always wanted me to do at least one thing educational during the summertime. And I was like, oh, science camp. Oh, you know, what are people going to think, you know? And so, but when I got there, okay, so I did my first, you know, before I went to science camp, I was a little hesitant. But when I got there, I have to say I was so enthralled by it. It was um, two full weeks. We're at a college campus. So here I was, you know, in high school at a college campus, which I thought was the coolest thing. And um, and it was all lab work, no tests, no reading, just, you know, being in. We were in a physics lab studying wave pools. We were in um, an astronomy lab because we had classes at night um, where we were up in um, a tower looking at the stars and learning all about astronomy. We had a biology lab where we actually dissected some animals and we learned all about, you know, how the body works. And, I mean, it was just a phenomenal experience um, to attend something like that. I we think also I learned would computer co- programming. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. Yes. Where, where was the camp? Because I went to Camp Canadian, and I was, you know, riding horses and playing, you know, um, tennis and doing fencing and swimming. So fabulous <laughs> camp. Pennsylvania? It was in New Jersey at Trenton State College. Get out of here. Where'd you grow up? Yes. What, what part of I grew up in, it, it was called Titusville. It was right near oh Washington gosh. Crossing, about three miles from, from New Hope. Okay, so I ride past there almost every weekend on my bike. We we cross oh. over the Washington Crossing Bridge on the canal, and I ride right through Titusville because it's so beautiful. Oh, my God. Well, it's a good thing you go on your bike and not your car because every time I try yeah. to go over there in my car, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my my uh, my rear view mirrors because <laughs> it's such yeah, a narrow that, bridge. That is a, that is a treacherous one. Oh, so you were in Titusville. How beautiful. Yes, uh, we lived one block off the river, um, right down there. Yeah, and and so I went to um, Trenton State. It was at Trenton State College. Wow. And I went two Susan, summers. I got to take you there if you haven't been to Titusville. You've got it's a beautiful town. It sits way up top of the Delaware and it looks down, but it floods I think too still, still though. Yeah, I would so, love to see it. I, I've been to Princeton, but I haven't been to any other area near there. Well, full disclosure, Beth, full disclosure, um, I really did enjoy the science, but I also enjoyed the fact that there was baseball camp, football camp, and basketball camp, and all those boys <laughs> would eat in the same lunchroom as us. There you go. <laughs> you would be so old. Okay, good. And, um, yeah, because science camp boys and soccer camp boys look a little different. And yeah, so, um, that, so full disclosure. Okay, so we know where your heart was. That's okay. You know, I, I was uh, I was guilty of the same. I played tennis in college, and I didn't mind the guys at training table coming in all right. sweaty after after training after uh, working out all day. So it's okay. I was a science nerd, and I can't spell either. So I totally feel your pain. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Really? Okay. Good. So I don't feel so bad. <laughs> and the the good thing is, like with texting, my kids. They, sometimes they think it's just, you know, the autocorrect or whatever, but I really just can't spell. That's the bottom line. So. Oh, and we always have that out, don't we? That darn, yes, we that do. darn art, auto speller. 
Um, you know, Lenore, one of the questions I had for you, and it makes sense to ask you now, is what what are some of the things you would like to see the schools doing to help encourage more young women to go into the STEM field? Well, I um, these types of camps are fabulous. They really, really are fabulous. In fact, um, there's one in Charlotte um, that just started up recently that I'm going to be speaking at this summer. Um, but there's also these um, these code academies um, that are coming up that I would love to see in in the schools. You know, teaching kids how to code. It's not as hard as it used to be years ago when I was there because there's so many of these like code generators that make it really simple. Mm-hmm. And so so having camps that make it fun and cool, having these code, um, you know, learning to code. Um, but also what I would I wish that I had was um, just like entrepreneurial type classes very, very early on. Mm. Showing children and young girls, it doesn't, girls and boys, how to turn an idea into a business. Right. And and I just think that is so key because, you know, I'm learning this in my second career here. Right. And um, if I had learned it early, early on, um, I just think it would have been phenomenal. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just think that those types of um lessons and skills and tools are valuable no matter what your career is, Uh, you know, to to really just kind of think for yourself and and come up with um, strategies when you have a creative idea. Um, I want to get right into your background and talk about the years that you worked in technology prior to your launching the torch. You worked for Bank of America, uh, MTV Networks. You worked for Verizon and Accenture. These are all big-name companies. And uh, if I'm correct, you, you worked in operations. Um, I wanted to know what what it was that kind of helped you navigate the the corporate politics during those years. Well, um, when I... I'm going to start real quick with what I was in college. I was an accounting major in college. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't want to be an accountant. And so my way of turning the accounting major into a career without being an accountant was by joining Accenture, which was then called Anderson Consulting, and implementing accounting systems. And so I was um, a consultant able to go in, assess a situation, figure out what the problems are, and then apply technology to it, and it was typically in finance and accounting. And um, from there, going into different companies and and being able to apply technology regardless of the industry. So, you know, I started out doing work for the federal government. I moved into um, telecommunications at Verizon. And then from there, I went to um, uh, MTV, which was you know media and entertainment, mm-hmm. and um, and then to Bank of America, and quite often I was asked the question, you know, well, you know, you're a telecommunications person, what do you know about, um, you know, MTV? And my answer was really, no, I am a problem solver. I build technology to solve problems, and so you are the expert in the business. Let me work with you to identify the problem 
problems and use technology to solve your problem. And so it really didn't matter what industry I was in, it was all about solving the problems and using technology to do it. And I've always had the most tremendous mentors in every single company that I worked for that helped me get by the politics by focusing on the problem and the solution and delivering value and not getting caught up with all the other things that were going on in the company. It didn't matter what industry you were in. You're always going to have the corporate politics. But I had this one advisor, and he was actually a boss um, at the time when I was in Verizon, who told me, he's like, wear the white hat. And what he meant by that is always do the right thing and, and, and do the thing that's the one that's not always the easiest. <laughs> and, you know, it's really easy to go in and complain and say, oh, this department isn't doing their job and, you know, we're doing this and we're doing that. And he would say, no, he's like, go in and present the solution. Don't be talking about the problem. Talk about the solution. And that's how I've been successful through all my different careers by always remembering his name was Harry Arts, and I will never forget him. He was such a great mentor by wearing the white hat and always going in and solving the problems. That's great advice, you know, and it really speaks to, to, to being positive, right, in the workplace. I love that. Don't focus on the problems, but say this is how we're going to uh, make things better. Mm-hmm. And and how did you inspire and motivate the people that worked for you when it came time to implementing new systems? You know, technology is so incredibly fast-paced. And sometimes I think, you know, people get, um, you know, they adjust to a new system and it's time to change it and, and do something different. Yeah, it's 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 very difficult. <laughs> and when you're in technology, it's it's it can be very thankless because um, it's you know it's never the, the software is never fast enough. It's never doing what you want it to do. And so, quite often, you you pick up the phone and you call your tech people and you're yelling at them. Why doesn't do this? I wanted to do that. Right. And um, my teams, um, you know, they they would get um, uh, beat up sometimes by you know by our customers. And what I would always tell them is you, you have to embrace the critics. You have to listen to what they're saying and not take it personally. But what they're saying is there's an ounce of, of information in there that could make whatever we're doing better. And so when you when you take out all of the you know, personalization and the anger and the emotion. What are they saying, and and how can we take that information, apply it to our system or our process, and make it better? And um, when you do that, every time you get maybe yelled at or have a, a, a criticism, you can strip away everything and say, how can I learn from this and 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 do better for what um, I'm the product that I'm producing. Right, right. You, you are living the four agreements. My gosh, it's beautiful. You know? <laughs> not, not well, but not taking it personally and saying, you know, how yes. do I, how do I take this information and create an opportunity for improvement? And you know, that's those are the people that succeed in life. The people that get hung up and and hang in the muck, they right. never go anywhere because you can't get past the feeling sorry for yourself or being hurt. You just you know, you kick the mud off your shoes and keep walking. Right. Exactly. You shrug your shoulders, keep walking, keep keep getting there. That's that's what you have to do. 
and and quite honestly, your critics are are your best resource because the people that are telling you you're doing everything great, that's wonderful, but you're not going to get better. And right. so the people that are telling you how you can improve, that's how you can make yourself better. It hurts. It definitely hurts. Right. That's true. <laughs> Every time you hear one, you say, ouch, but but then you have to move on and, 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 and get to the next step. Exactly. Listen, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor, and when we come back, I want to talk about your speaking and your interest in emotional intelligence. We'll be right back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography, an automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined today by, of course, our co-host, Dr. Beth Dupree, who's calling in from Holy Redeemer Hospital. And we have as a guest today, Lenore Vassell. Lenore is the founder and CEO of The Torch, which is an online information organizer. And we're going to learn a lot more about that in a few minutes. But one of the things that was interesting to me, Lenore, was your interest in emotional intelligence. Um, I don't know that a lot of people know what that is and why it's important. So I'd love for you to talk for a few minutes um, about your thoughts. Oh, sure. Well, uh, I got the privilege and opportunity uh, a few, actually five years back, um, to speak at, um, in a leadership class a friend of mine was teaching at Georgia Tech called True North, and it was all about authentic leadership. And there was a um, section about uh, emotional intelligence and self-awareness, self-discipline, and self-motivation. Um, and he and dealing with other people, and so it's, it's you know self self control as well as social um, uh, interactions. And uh, he asked me to come and speak on the topic when he taught this class, and we did this for five years because together we were um, working. I was the president of my homeowners association, and if anybody's ever been on a homeowners association, it is the most difficult <laughs> job and thankless job. Thankless. And, yes. Yes. Thankless. And um, and we had when it, we had a, a really difficult situation where we had um, a, a, a leaking building. We had mold. We had lawyers that were um, attacking me, both professionally and personally. And we had to wage a, um, a, a kind of a, 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 a litigation against our developer. And I was dealing with all of these really really difficult personalities. And he watched me in the way I dealt with them and said, you know, I really want you to come and talk to my class about emotional intelligence because the way he saw me deal with these very difficult personalities, he wanted the students to um, understand those types of skill sets. And so it's, it's mostly a, little, a lot about what I had talked about before. Uh, you know, active listening um, to what people say, not taking things personally, 
um, self-control in um, making sure, you know, when you're a leader and somebody wants to deliver you bad news, if you're the type of person that blows up, that yells whenever something goes wrong, nobody's going to tell you that something's going to go wrong. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and they're going to hide it from you mm-hmm. until it's really, really bad. But if, if you're the type of person where people feel like they can bring bad news to you and that you're not going to overreact, but that you're going to react with the appropriate level of, you know, emotion, mm-hmm. then um, people will bring bad news to you and you will know ahead of time before it gets escalated. Right. And so those were the types of um, things we talked about, um, you know, in the classroom about how these students, when, you know, they get out, actually they, a lot of them are graduate students, when they get back into the work world as to um, how to navigate the politics and, and using emotional intelligence to differentiate themselves as leaders because um, IQ will get you so far, but EQ, which is emotional intelligence, will will help you get even farther as a leader because you can interact with people much better than if you have just IQ. Yeah, absolutely, and especially in business because you want the you know your colleagues to be able to come to you often. Um, you know, communication for business is is critical, and if if you're not approachable, you know things are going to go by the wayside. Yes. Yeah, um, Lenore, let's let's jump right into the. Here's what I would like to know: when what precipitated your decision to start your own company? Was there an experience or something that happened that you said, you know, this is needed and I'm going to take care of it? Well, I always had um, this itch to create a company. I just never had an idea that I thought um, was viable. And uh, when I was on vacation with my sister, we were in Ibiza, Spain at this thing called Bikini Boot Camp. And it was a um, adventure, healthy um, uh, vacation for women, uh, where you wake up in the morning and you, you know, eat healthy food and you do yoga and you meditate. And um, in the afternoon, you have an adventure. And that day, we we hiked these crazy cliffs, and it, they were actually quite treacherous and dangerous. And that night, one of the women said, "You know, if, if something happened to us today, because it was really." dangerous what we did. Would anyone know how to navigate your life? And so after calling her a buzzkill, (laughs) I was the first one to speak up. And I said, well, you know, my financial advisor, you know, told me that I needed to have a will and, um, you know, estate planning documents because I live alone. And I looked at my sister and I said, Christina, you have all, you know, my stuff. You would know what to do if something ever happened to me. She looked at me and said, Lenore, you gave that to me five years ago. I have no idea where it is. And even if I did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do with it. And she's like, I don't know the name of your doctor. I don't know where you keep your dog when we go on vacation. She's like, I don't even have a key to your house. No, I couldn't navigate your life. Mm-hmm. And I was really... I was taken aback because I thought I was a very um, responsible, you know, organized person. And I realized that, you know, we hadn't really talked about it. And, and I threw her some papers a couple of years ago, but that was about it. And when I talked to the other women on the trip, I thought, all right, well, I'm single and we're just irresponsible. Everybody else has th- this together. And they were married with children. And, but 
they had the same response. They were like, no, my husband knows everything, or I know everything. My husband would be lost. You know, One was an entrepreneur. She said, I have clients booked a year in advance. No one would know how to handle them. And so they all looked at me and said, you're a technology executive. You build software. Go build an app for that. And so I did. I, I started researching it, and, and, you know, there's other solutions out there, but there just wasn't one that I liked. And so I took my experience and said, all right, let me build something that I think I, that I would use and that my family would use. And what were you doing at the time, Lenore? Were you, were you working uh, for a company? I was working at Bank of America. At Bank of America. Yeah, okay. I was a technology and operations executive at Bank of America. Right. And what year was that? That was in... 2011. Okay. So what was the very first thing you did? You know, it's funny. We, we have conversations all the time, and people will say, I bet there's an app for that, or we should build an app for that. You know, it's kind of a broad statement. What did you do? What was the first? Who did you contact first? Uh, Google. Okay. <laughs> That's a good company. I've heard of them. <laughs> and I just, I Googled and I said, all right, who's done this? Who hasn't done this? What, you know, what are the competitors out there? And then when I decided to um, uh, start doing it, the first thing I did was a competitive analysis. That was the, you know, uh, first thing. But then what I started doing is creating a prototype. Mm-hmm. And um, I started mocking up different screens and putting together kind of a high-level business plan. And um, the first thing I did was um, a friend of mine connected me with uh, an advisor who was a very successful entrepreneur who had just his software was just purchased by, I think it was purchased by Google or Amazon. It was purchased by Amazon. And so I pitched it to him, and and I hadn't really done much, um, but uh, he said, um, what you need to do is you need to sell it before you build it. And that was a concept that was very foreign to me. And he said, what you need to do is you need to just build a sexy little prototype. And he goes, then go out and try to sell it and see if anybody will buy it. Because don't spend all your time building this this product that nobody's going to buy. Mm, that's, yeah. And, it was very interesting because he said, because, gee, you know, have you put this in front of financial advisors? Did you put it, um, you know, did you ask any questions or get it in front of them? And I said, no, but there's this estate planning conference that I'm going to attend. And he said, um, he said, attend? What, what, what are you going to do when you attend? And I said, oh, well, I'm going to network and I'm going to talk to people. And he goes, no, you're not. He goes, you're going to go buy a table and you're going to sell your product at a table. And I was like, but I don't have a product. <laughs> and he said, no. He's like, you're going you're gonna to build a prototype and, and go ask their opinion and see if they would buy it. And so I did. I did it in like an, it was like four or six weeks. I built a little prototype. I made a logo. I got my website, and I went, and I, I tried to sell it at an estate planning conference. <laughs> Yeah, that's what a great idea to really find out first before you put, you know, time and, and effort mm-hmm. and sweat and tears into a business, whether there is an interest there. Um, right. Yeah. As you mentioned, you know, Lenore, there are there are other um, options out there all around surrounding this topic. So what is it that you're doing to promote the torch and, and gain visibility um, in the, you know, the competitive field that there is? Well, there's really there's two um, there's two other options. The the biggest competitor we have, quite honestly, is the option to do nothing. And um, 
I've seen time and again where, and I think, um, Beth, you'll you'll totally um, understand this analogy. Um, the the torch is a vitamin. And it's something that's going to prevent something bad from happening in the future. And so while everyone agrees that it's important, it's not urgent. And so they tend to put it off. Mm. It became very obvious to me yesterday that women who have been faced with, you know, um, a terminal, not, you know, a, a disease that will most likely prematurely end their life, um, still have to be pushed to mm-hmm. have those difficult conversations and to have those things. And, you know, I have got a spreadsheet for my information. I, I have an account with you, by the way. I did it in five minutes before the show started. So <laughs> I, I, I have a Torch account now, and I am going to get the Lifetime one because that is totally affordable. And I think about this, like, what happens? I travel a lot. What happens if something happens to me tomorrow, which, you know what, none of us are guaranteed to wake up, or I could have an accident and be unconscious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, it's, um, you know, and I, I like the whole idea. You can give it as a gift. So I've got five sisters that might be getting this for Christmas. Because <laughs> there you well, go. You know what? And, uh, one, of, one of us becomes responsible for the other. And, you right. know, it, even though we're married, it doesn't guarantee that your spouse is going to be, you know, you just don't know. And, you know, Susan knows this. My, my brother was killed um, when I was 17. He was killed by a drunk driver. And I remember... Even though he was married, just the chaos of trying to piece things together because you you can't ask questions when somebody's not able to answer them. You know, right. you have all the questions, but you know, to me, the torch is like the answer. It gives you um, a kind of a succinct place to put it, and. It's, um, I mean, after my entire last five days looking up the conversations I've been having, it's something that, you know, to me, it is like taking a vitamin, and I'd rather take the vitamin now than have my sons, my boys, or my family um, be the ones that are on the receiving end of not enough information. And I have a spreadsheet, but it's locked in my computer, password protected, you know what I mean? So it's like, who would ever know to go there? Oh, that's where to find it. And so the difference, so, so, so option number one, big competitor number one is doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Competitor number two is there's other products out there that um, position themselves as an online safe deposit box where you scan all your documents, you put all your passwords, you link all your accounts, your financial accounts, and it becomes this, you know, one place where all of your details are. And while that is good for some people, um, it, it's very time-consuming. Consuming. And, um, and, and, and what I found from an emotional intelligence perspective is people don't necessarily want to share that level of detail with anybody, even their spouse, and, um, and not with a company that they don't know or trust. And so, um, so where the torch is different is the torch is just instructions. I call it the map, not the treasure. It's who to call, where to look, and what to do in an emergency. So it's, here's the name of my doctor. I don't need to give you the list of all the medications I'm on. My doctor knows. Here's the name of my financial advisor. I'm not going to give you the passwords to my bank accounts, but my financial advisor knows where they are. Um, you know, I have a will, and 
here's where you can find it. But I don't want to show it to you right now because you don't need to know who I'm leaving my money to. And so the, the torch is more of instructions than it is all of the details. So, Beth, for you, it's, oh, by the way, I have a spreadsheet. Here's where to go look. Yep. <laughs> and it's, it's, that makes it, it, but this is, this is so, it makes, it's so intuitive and it makes so much sense. And for those people in the world that go along every day and think that things don't happen, believe me, things happen. And, you know, I, another concern that I have is my, my mom has Alzheimer's. She'll be 90 next week. But did she remember to make a list of everything when she could remember? And, mm-hmm. you know, we found a shoebox full of food. A food, listen to me. It's probably because I'm hungry. A, a shoebox <laughs> full of money in uh, just sitting in a closet in the house when we moved our parents to a retirement community because my mom had put money there over the years because she did catering. But nobody knew it was there. And could right. you imagine if we didn't find it and, and it just sat there until the next owners came in and cha-ching, they got a nice little bonus. But, you know, you, you have to do this when you think about it. And it is, it is, it's very hard for people to think that they could ever be in a situation where they don't have control of their life or of their decisions. But I see it every day, and I think it's a great idea. Well, thank you. And and back to the emotional intelligence piece of it, what I found and, and what I tell people to do is, so let's say you want your sisters to fill out the torch. If you call them up and you say, hey, you know, I saw this great, you know, um, app and, and I, I want you to fill this out for me because I need this information or if you, you know, want your parents to do it, um, they're, they're going to they're going to get defensive. Why do you want to know? You know, what do you, you know, what do you think is going to happen to me? You know, that type of thing. But if you approach it by filling it out yourself and saying, you know what, I spent the time and I put my information in here and now I want to share this with you. So you pass the torch to your parents or pass the torch to your sister and say, can we have a conversation? Because if anything ever happened to me, I'd want you to know this level of information. And remembering again, no details, just instructions that that gives a sense of trust and where you are opening your kimono to say hey I'm sharing this information with you and then they feel okay she's done it she's you know she is trusting this information to me I should really do this and and reciprocate um, because that's the way those conversations because they are difficult and they are taboo um, need to be had in um, in preparing especially when you're healthy it's a little, it's a little different when you're not. Little, it's like preventive medicine right here. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, what a great way to approach it for uh, your parents. You know, I find that it's such a difficult conversation to have with parents, um, let alone siblings, because, you know, you're kind of the – and Beth and I have spoken about this. All of a sudden the roles are switched. You know, mm-hmm. you you were raised and you grew up and, and your parents were caring for you. And then all of a sudden one day, it, it just seems to happen overnight, your concern is for them. And they don't want to be viewed as – number one, you know, kind of facing, you know, the inevitable end of life. It's a hard subject, Um, but they're often not um, accepting of this type of suggestion, I guess, coming from you. And so to do, I love the idea, Lenore, that you said about, you know, filling it out yourself and then just sharing it with them. Mm -hmm. Um, That'll spark the idea. What a great idea. You know, I would love for my children to have this information as well. 
And the other thing when you had asked me how we're, we're getting the word out is we're working with financial advisory firms, um, also um, with um, some hospitals, and we even have one employer, um, but ma mainly with financial advisors because they're the ones that actually, um, uh, you know, encourage their clients to do these types of things. And so um, what they've been doing it is buying it as a gift for their clients and helping their clients walk through it and reminding them to do it and putting it as part of their kind of to-do list when they're working with their financial advisors. So um, while we, you know, go directly to the public, we also go through um, financial advisory state attorneys, um, employers, um, anybody who or businesses that value this type of information and encourage it as part of their communications with um, their constituents. Yeah. Great idea. Great my, idea. My, my next door neighbor is my financial planner, so Topper and Betty are going to get a little phone call from me when I get home. <laughs> Besides the fact that we beat them, the Dupree's beat them in Bocce yesterday, now I will have to, <laughs> you know, again, educate him about a tool that he can use in his professional uh, corporation. So it's Yeah, awesome. yeah. Well, and one of the other things that we're, it's a, a feature we're getting ready to roll out um, within the, uh, before the end of the year, I'll say is um, called an executor toolkit. And what this is, is where we're talking as, you know, planning as being the vitamin, um, there also co comes the acute care. So if we put it into the medical terms, um, Beth, when you were saying, okay, you know, now somebody, you know, has cancer or they've passed, um, what the executor toolkit will do is it'll walk the executor um, or the, the responsible person through exactly what it takes to be that person. A lot of times, like when my sister said to me, she goes, even if I had it, I wouldn't know what to do with it. A lot of people don't know what a healthcare power of attorney is and why they need it or if they don't have it, what they have to do next. And so what the executor toolkit will do is teach the caregivers or executors how to do what they need to do because it's very complicated and it'll put it into plain English and give them a checklist and connect them with resources um, during a very, very difficult and devastating time. Yeah, it, it takes away the guesswork and that's, and that's yeah. like the gift that you give to your family is by not making them struggle through it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, Lenore, have your, your own parents, have they been receptive to it? Oh, absolutely. Um, my father, unfortunately, um, a couple of years ago, while I was building the torch, he got bit by a bug, um, and it wasn't even someplace exotic. It was in Trenton, New Jersey, um, but he got, <laughs> he, got bit, he got bit by a bug, and he ended up um, getting viral encephalitis, oh my and gosh. Um, it made his brain swell, and he, um, he lost, he got like temporary dementia for two months. Wow. And during that period of time, thank goodness he recovered 110%, which is amazing. He's Superman at his age um, to have recovered such a, a, a devastating uh, disease. But um, but during that period of time, I, you know, I was asking my mother, I'm like, you know, do you, did you pay bills? You know, did you do this? And she's like, your father does everything. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was a real wake-up call for us mm -hmm. um, that that it's not just about death. It's, it's about delegation because there may be a time in your life where you can't do what you're 
you're doing and somebody else needs to step in. Right. And if you haven't set up that person to run your life, it becomes extremely difficult and it just adds stress onto a difficult time. And so they've gone through this and, and my parents sat down and did it together and my mother called me and thanked me and she said, Lenore, she goes, you know, we've been married for 51 years and, you know, I learned things that I didn't know and thank you for doing this. And I've gotten those types of phone calls from many couples yep, <laughs> that have you know, gone through it together where they they really didn't know because it wasn't something that they talked about. Right. You know, it's also it, it, it's actually empowering, isn't it, for um, one partner um, in a partnership to take on this, this, this task and have all this information. It really is empowering. It makes them, you know, kind of not have that anxiety about, gosh, you know, if something happens someday. Right, right. Yeah. And and because the torch is just instructions and it's not all the details, right. um, it's easier to talk about and it's not so overwhelming because mm-hmm. you're not diving into the nitty gritties. It's just look here, call this person. This is on auto pay. You know, this is automatically deposited. This isn't. You're going to have to look for a check and go take it to the bank. You know, those types of things, um, which is a, it's an easier conversation to have. Yeah. Um, we only have about a, a minute left, Lenore. I'd love to know if there's anything in your, you know, planning for the future. A lot of times entrepreneurs, once they get something up and running, um, they're on to their next idea. Is this something that, you know, you have in mind or is all your uh, efforts focused on the torch right now? All my, all my efforts are focused on the torch right now and really growing it, uh, looking for strategic partnerships to really scale and um, making it, um, I, I want to change the world. I want to I want to make these conversations less taboo, mm-hmm. and I want to make it so that um, they're they're customary, they're easy, and um, you know, like Beth was saying, people aren't waiting till they get um, sick to have these conversations. Right. That it's it's something that's a you know a, a easy and it's part of your normal routine. That oh, you know, we we got to make sure we pass the torch. Right. Right, exactly. You know, it's just so interesting to me, you know, to have, I have Beth on the show every week. And, and so far, Beth, I think you'll agree, no matter the background of our guest, there always seems to be some tie-in. You know, there's always a commonality um, with with life and wellness. And and there's always something that's, that's similar that we can talk about. And it's interesting to me, the two of you have to have these conversations, you know, these tough conversations. And they're so very important. And I think the, you know, the more we do it, uh, the easier it will get for people. Our health is our greatest of wealth. It's connected to every single thing about being human and being alive. So there's there's no way that health care and wellness can't be connected to our guests. So exactly. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going I'm to meet you in person when I come to Charlotte. My son lives there. Oh, wonderful. Let's definitely do that. Oh, terrific. And, Great idea. And uh, when you come to Pennsylvania, give us a call. I will. Thanks, Lenore. I, I so appreciate your being on the show. And for the listeners, you can go to thetorch.com to get more information um, on Lenore Vassell, founder and CEO of The Torch. Thanks, Beth. Thanks, Lenore. We'll see everyone next week.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.